I have a son in college, so I know what it is to be college poor again. <laughs> the first time I was college poor, I was in college. And I would work my tail off during the summer and I would collect all that money and I would use it to pay first semester. And then I had three jobs during college and the cumulative effect of those three jobs would pay for second semester. But sophomore year, I, I miscalculated. I showed up and there had been a change in my aid package and I hadn't gotten a scholarship I had gotten the year before and so I was short. And so when I wrote the check for tuition, I had zero dollars left in my bank account. A friend of mine, a floor mate, who lived down the hall from me, literally wrote me a check for $500 so that I could buy books and start off the semester. It wasn't a loan, it was a gift, and his name was Talmadge. God used Talmadge to help bail my sorry butt out of being impoverished sophomore year of college. When I started off in the ministry, um, I was gung-ho and I was working about 100 hours a week. I managed three or five major ministry areas. I managed the staff. I was an executive pastor. Um, and I was burning the candle at both ends. And uh, I was part of an accountability group. And a young guy named Stuart kept, kept at me. Max, you need to take a day off. Max, you need to get out. You need to get outside. I think you're going to love the outdoors. You just need to go. Stuart, I can't go. Max, I'm going to keep nagging you and nagging you until you go. And I'm not going to. And God used Stuart to get me outside. I discovered the outdoors because of him. Um, it, also, in the early days of my ministry, uh, there was a lady who had left her husband. He was an alcoholic, and she had an out-of-control son. And she was hoping that I would kind of become a surrogate dad for her son. And I, because I want to help people, I gladly stepped into that role. And boy, did I step in it, right? Uh, not having good boundaries and those kind of things. And my wife, Jenny, you, you, you have no business doing that. <laughs> and so God used Jenny uh, to help me to understand Oh, I can help people, but I also need to have healthy boundaries in place, right? Da 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 da. Um, God has consistently used other people in my life to help me, bail me out of trouble, come alongside me, walk with me. Um, chances are, God's done the same for you. God has used other people in your life to help you and to make a difference in your life. Now, the thing about all the people who helped me, none of them had their act together. Talmadge, who wrote the $500 check. He was a missionary kid from uh, Kenya. He was a liar. All freshman year, he told lies about escaping from lions and all this other stuff. <laughs> and it hit the fans junior year big time, right? You know, Talmadge, Talmadge the liar. God used Talmadge the liar to help me sophomore year. Stuart, the guy who was like, you need to get outside. He was, uh, he was just a student. He didn't even have his counseling degree yet. What did he know giving me advice? He didn't even have a diploma on the wall. And Jenny, Jenny was afraid. Jenny was afraid I was going to get myself in trouble. She was, you know, woo. And me, the, the thing is, the funny thing is, like, God's actually used me to help other people in their life, right? So I, I've, I'll randomly write notes to people. I call them random encouragement notes. Uh, and, uh, and every week I have to preach because we're Protestants and it's how we do church, right? And I'll show up in people's homes and I'll see the note on the refrigerator. 
And they'll be like, Max, you have no idea. Like that note came in a day. I was really discouraged and I was just asking God, God, I need you to speak to me, da, 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 da. Um, I've, had people, we, uh, I've had people commit to Jesus on a Sunday morning. I'm like, really? And we found out because they started volunteering in children's and youth and asked, when did you become a Christian? When did you start following Jesus? Oh, in a Sunday morning service, you know, and write that down. And here's the thing, just like all the people who helped me, I have issues. I have issues, I do. I'm not always in touch with my emotions. I'm indecisive. I'm way too much of a pessimist. Don't believe me, ask Brian Hall. He'll tell you, fill you in and complete myriad full color detail about my pessimism. And yet, and yet, God's used me to help other people. Here's the thing. None of the people that God has used in your life had their act together. I don't have my act together. Neither do you. None of us, none of us have our act together. And here's the good news with that. God can use you no matter what. And that's my bottom line today. And if they'll put my pictures up here, I'll even show it to you on the big screen. God can use you no matter what. This happens time and time and time again in the Bible. I know this is true because God uses highly dysfunctional people all throughout the pages of the Bible. Don't believe me? Just read Genesis. Then go into Judges. I mean, these are cray-cray people and God uses them. And we're gonna look at just one example today in the, book of, in the book of Judges. We're gonna look at a young man named Gideon. Now, at this time in history, Israel occupied the promised land, but they kind of had retreated up into the hills and mountains and the Midianites and some of the other Canaanite nations, they had free run of all the fertile plains where you could plant good crops. They had free run of all the roads to trade with other people and they had some killer army folks, like they had some warriors. And so the Israelites were kind of like Beaker and the Muppets, up in the hills, just scared. It was a bad time. In fact, this is how the book of Judges summarizes that time of Israel's history. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes with disastrous results. <laughs> disastrous results. In fact, it was kind of like a cycle. Some of you have friends who are kind of trapped in a cycle and you see it and all their friends see it and you're like, don't you see it? You're trapped in a cycle. And they're like, no, man, quit dogging me. Um, but the Israelites, they would sin. They would kind of worship other deities in, a, in addition to Yahweh, the God who had delivered them from Egypt. And so they were kind of syncretist in that way. Uh, they would get oppressed by other nations. So raiding parties would come in, burn their crops, take their cows, take their women and daughters and wives. Uh, they would repent. The circumstances would get so bad, they would be like, God, we're sorry. This whole situation is sorry. Oh. And God would send a deliverer and they'd get delivered. And then they'd have peace in the land. And when things were good and peaceful, they'd start sinning and forgetting God, and then it was like this never-ending cycle. And so in Judges chapter six, God is about to choose another deliverer, and his name is Gideon. Let me read these verses for you. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to the Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I always imagine angels having deep voices for some reason. And so 
The Lord turned to him, Gideon, and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon is hiding in a wine press. So imagine a closet, right? That's walled in all the way around. It's dark, there's no airflow. It's down below the, the surface, the ground of the surface. So you step down to go into a wine press and he's threshing wheat. If you know anything about wheat, what you need to do is you, you get the bundle of wheat, you go up to the highest hilltop where there's a good breeze and you shake it and thresh it. And what happens is the chaff blows away in the wind and the grains of wheat fall down and you've got your food right there. It's easy breezy, but where is Gideon doing it? In a wine press. Mighty warrior, <laughs> mighty warrior, <laughs> not, not yet, not here, not this young man. Now there, there's a ton of stuff going on, right? For those of you that geek out about the connections of the Bible, uh, God's call to Gideon is so similar to God's call to Moses. Um, they both say something along this, the same lines. My family's the weakest. Who am I? Should, I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. You know, and God says the same thing. I'm gonna be with you. Here's a sign. Give me a sign. It's got fire, which is a sign of God's presence. God consumes a, a sacrifice at where Gideon is. God's the burning bush in Moses. And both of them are hiding. Gideon's hiding from the Midianites. Moses is hiding from his past. And yet, God calls them, God chooses them. Gideon doesn't have his act together and neither does Moses at this point and neither do you or I. Well, God commands Gideon to do the first thing and that's tear down an, an Asherah pole. Apparently his family was kind of covering their bets so in addition to worshiping Yahweh, the God who delivered them out of Egypt, they were also worshiping, you know, some other local deities here and there along the way. And they had an Asherah pole uh, dedicated to what would have at that time been called the master. Imagine serving someone called the master. Um, and so uh, God says, I want you to tear down, I want you to destroy that Asherah pole. Well, Gideon does exactly what he's told to do with the caveat. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and of the people of the town. Just as Moses killed the man in secret and thought he could get away with it, Gideon tears down the Asherah pole at night thinking he can get away with it. Of course, both men are outed. Both men are outed. How many of us, come on, how many of us God has asked to do, do something, volunteer with VBS or any number of things. And, and so we step in and then when the moment comes, we're like, I'll take, I'll just buy crafts from the store, right? I mean, we kind of, you know, we have this call or this sense and the moment comes, we kind of back away because we're afraid. I mean, it happens. Well, God wants to deliver Israel from Midianite oppression. So the next thing he asks Gideon to do is he says, I want you to gather all the fighting men. And Gideon does that and he gathers 32,000 men that are like, oh, okay, and they're all gathered. And it's gonna be great. And God does something unexpected. 
God says, I want you to ask anyone who's afraid to raise their hands and then whoever raises their hand gets to go home. And Gideon does that and guess what? 22,000 guys go, yeah, I'm afraid boss. (laughs) Now that means the 10,000 that were remaining are liars. (laughs) That's what that means. Or they need a lot of counseling, (laughs) okay? So there's 10,000 of them left after the scaredy cats are, are left to go home. And God tells Gideon, here, you're going down to a creek. I, I, you know, there's gonna be some guys that pull up water and do this, and then there's gonna be other guys that kind of get down on the ground, dismiss the guys that get down on the ground, right? Like, you know, and so that's 9,700. So now Gideon has 300 men. 300 against a whole army. Someone should make a movie out of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? 300 is what he's down to. Now, there's no indication that God tells Gideon what to do. So Gideon improvises. He's like, well, we've got some, we've got torches, we've got jars, uh, we've got horns. All right, grab your horns. Grab some jars, light the torches, put the jar of the torch, come with me, and they go, right? And here's what chapter seven, right? So here's when the moment comes, they smash their jars, which reveals the torches. So all of a sudden you see 300 lights up on the hillside, and all 300 of them start blowing their horns. And the Bible tells us in chapter seven, verse 22, When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to the places as far away as Beshetah near Zerah and to the border of, I can't say that, near Tabith, right? Okay, who caused the Midianites to fight against each other? Who? The Lord. God caused it. It's like the poem. For though it seems odd, I'm not the hero. The hero is God. And that's what Gideon could say. Now the irony of this story to me is that Gideon does this fleecing thing with God and God assures him of victory. But it's not until Gideon goes into, on the outskirts of the Midianite camp and hears a Canaanite soldier telling a dream that he had that Gideon's like, oh, well, I think this is, God's gonna give us victory. I mean, that, that to me is just rife with honor, uh, irony. Gideon is a mixed up person with issues. Trust issues. Are you gonna trust God, Gideon? Come on, he told you he's gonna give you victory. How many assurances do you need? Fear issues. He tears down the Asherah pole, but he does it at night because he's afraid. He's got self-image issues. I'm the weakest, I'm the least, I'm nobody, you can't use me. And yet, who does God use? Gideon. This is good news, gang. God can use you no matter what. God can use you no matter what. Let me ask some questions in light of this passage. What would it take for you to live like you believe what God says is true? How could God use you? Here's some ways to take this home. First and foremost, if we learn anything, can see anything in this passage, do what God says immediately. 
If you're reading the Bible, if you're trying to follow Jesus, God's spirit is in you and speaking to you and guiding you. And when you have a sense that you should call someone, that you should talk to someone, that you should step up, that you should do something, just do it. Don't, so many Christians I run into, they have this sense and then they're like, eh, I don't know, and they talk themselves out of it. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times this has played out. Last year, I had a sense I needed to go to the ATM. I never carry cash with me and get $30 out. I'm like, oh, that's the weirdest thing in the world. I don't need, what do I need $30 for? There was a swim team meeting here at the country club. Some Baptist lady from Somerset was picking up someone at the hospital, left her purse at home, and had, was about to run out of gas here in Nicholasville. Stopped at the BP station. This is on a Tuesday night. And they say, well, there's a church right across the street that meets at that country club. I don't know anybody who works at the BP station. How would they know that? So she comes over here and they're like, well, you should see Max, right? So, and she's like, I, I don't know, if, if you have $30, I think that's enough for me to get back to Somerset, da, 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 Now, what are the odds? Come on, right? Now that Baptist, now I'm part of her God story in her life. You know, I want to testify. There's a preacher. I'm not sure what he believes, but man, you know. <laughs> so, First and foremost, do what God says immediately. Secondly, you don't have to have your act together first. You just have to obey and take the first step. Here at Generations, you don't even have to believe to do a lot of roles in service. You can do lots of things. You don't even have to believe in God. Now, we draw lines like if you want to be a small group leader and you want to be a director leader above, yeah, you got to have a close walk with Jesus, and we look at those things. But pretty much the sky's the limit anywhere else. You don't have to have your act together. Number three, I, I wish I would go on a road tour with this one if I could and say this to Americans. <laughs> quit, quit asking what's gonna make you happy. Quit it, quit it. It's not doing you any good. It's not doing anybody any good around you. Quit asking what's gonna make you happy. And instead, ask how God's gonna use you. How is God gonna use me in this marriage? How is God gonna use me in this situation? How is God gonna use me in these circumstances that I find myself? How is God gonna use me in this class, at this job, in this role? You'll be surprised how God wants to use you. And then the good news is the same grace and patience that God showed Gideon is available to us. He used Gideon to do an amazing thing. Did Gideon deserve it? Did he deserve that hero mantle? Probably not. God wants to use you the same way. 12 years ago, I counted, it's been 12 years. 12 years ago in 2006, on my birthday, around that time, the Lesages show up and they say, I just feel like we wanna give you a boat. We wanna bless our pastor, right? And the funny thing is, God has used that boat to get me to spots to be able to better hear his voice, to work on issues that I need to work on, to hear him with clarity, to provide better leadership and shepherding for you. It's been a life-changing thing for me, that little boat. Now, if you were to talk to the sages, you know what they would probably say? They would use this phrase right here. All I did was... All I did was, see, I used the same phrase. I'll have people thank me for sending them a thank you note. I'm like, really? 
All I did was write you a note. Yeah, but you don't understand. See, that's how God uses us in each other's lives. This world, gang, is not gonna fix itself. This community is full of people who are religiously tired. They don't know who God is. They don't know up from down. Uh, and they need to grasp the good news and they need to know who Jesus is and what he's done. God wants to use you, where you are. God sees what he can do through you. When God shows up on the scene, how does he address Gideon? Mighty warrior. When God sees you, God sees what he wants to do through you.